All right. Well, this morning we're going to have uh, another standalone sermon. I, I said last week we're going to be out of Acts for, for one week, and then after some prayer and consideration of things taking place over the next several weeks, um, we're actually going to be stepping back out of the book of Acts for a little bit in the summer here. We're going to come back into that. We still have about six more sermons in there to get through Acts uh, 13 and 14 and uh, the missionary journey of Paul. We're actually kind of ending right at a good, a good transition moment. We've gotten through Acts 12, and uh, when we pick back up in Acts 13, the narrative really beginning to shift. So, so I think it'll be a good time for us to uh, spend some time over these next few weeks with a couple other things that I think the Lord has uh, to say to us in this summer season. And so this morning, the Lord's going to speak to us about the importance of building relationships and building community in the church family. And, and it's very, I think, important for us to think about these things before we go out and, and practice them with this hospitality day, right? Where we're going to be spending some time with other people and having meals and maybe coffees or whatever it, it might look like. And so I want to I frame this up for us in the context of a text of scripture that came to my mind as I was first thinking about and feeling the Lord kind of lay on my heart issuing this challenge, this call to us to be intentional with practicing hospitality. And the, the text comes from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, and, and it's very end of it, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And here's, here's what we read about the early church that I want us to kind of keep in mind and then frame up our rest of our day with in our, in our thoughts. It says this, they devoted themselves, this is the, the disciples, those who have come to Christ, early Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. Such an incredible text about the life of the early church, the earliest part of the church, right? I mean, this is the description of the church right after Pentecost, right after the believers come to faith and the church goes from 120 people to 3,000 souls added. This is what those people were doing in those days immediately following their salvation. It comes as this great picture of the Christian faith, right? Something that, that I certainly long for, something I think many of you would long for, would be to, to have our Christian experiences described the way this Christian experience is described. I mean, if you just look at the text there, we can see five key things that, that is true in Acts 2, 42 to 47. There's unity in the church body. There are clear displays of God's power at work. There are numbers of people coming to faith regularly. There are physical needs being met, and there is real, genuine love for one another in the church, right? And how many of us hearing that would go, yeah, that's, that's what I want. Like, that's what I want to see in my church experience, right? I mean, I mean, we can be comfortable with just saying, well, you know, church is maybe just I go and it's normal and nothing's out of the routine and I'm comfortable. Or we can say, I'm not, I'm not content with that. I want, I want this picture from the book of Acts. I want unity, God's power, people coming to faith, needs being met, real genuine love and relationships. If you want those results, which I certainly do, then I think we need to, to look at what was taking place in this time period that brought these results out. I think the answer is in part, in the words of, I like these words from Conrad Gempf in his comment on this text. He says, the early believers didn't merely add Christianity to their already busy lives, but devoted themselves to their Christian experience. 
I think that's, that's a great observation. The early church looked the way it did because of two important things. First and primary, they had a devoted focus upon God, right? They were, the text tells us, devoted to learning his word through the teaching of the apostles. They were devoted to praying, and they were centering their lives around the worship of God. They weren't just add-ons to their life. They were central. But the second thing that we read in that text was that they were intentional with one another, right? They practiced regular, authentic, genuine, loving fellowship and spending time together day by day. Those are still the two things I think any church, our church, needs to focus on if we want to see the same kind of spiritual growth, the same kind of relational benefits that the early church saw in Acts 2. So in corporate gatherings like this, when we come together on a Sunday morning here in the church building, the primary emphasis for Sunday mornings, hopefully you, you know this to be true, is upward upon God. That's, that's the point of this time when we come together. That's where our focus is set in pretty much everything we do, right? We come together in the mornings, and we go into Bible study classes so we can learn more of what God has done, what God has said in his word, right? Then we come into the sanctuary here, into this room, and, and we hear the scriptures read. We lift our voice in song. We give our tithes and offerings as an act of worship to God. We lift our voices together in, in prayer and lift our needs up to God. Then we listen as God speaks through his word to us. And, and as we'll do in just a few moments, we at times we celebrate with the ordinances that God has commanded us to do to remind us tangibly, physically, of the message of the gospel. And so most of the time in this place, in this building, anything we're doing on a Sunday morning is rightly vertically focused. We're we're looking up to God. So listen to me clearly here because I want you to hear this. If if you think when you come to Sunday morning and and this is the focus of of the church service on Sunday morning, if you think, well, I'm going to kind of just piggyback on that and that will be my one time to go ahead and build all my relationships with other people too, you're never going to obtain the type of deep, real relationships with others that God intends for you to have. You'll get some, don't get me wrong, you'll get some because we're together. This is part of why God calls his people together to physically gather. That's why live stream and podcast and video recordings, they're not enough for your soul. They're not enough for your spiritual life. You need to physically come together. And when you do, when we're like this in this room, there is some relational unity being built here, but it's not really the primary focus. It's not the horizontal relationships between us. It's the vertical relationship with God that we're working on primarily in this place. So if you come, you're going to get some relational benefit with other people. And and if you come and kind of take advantage of everything we offer, that's going to be a little bit more than if you just roll in right at the moment everything starts right at the start of the day. Like we have a time set aside at the beginning of Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., our coffee and conversation time, which is for that horizontal relationship time. Like, so you know, the point of coffee and conversation time, the point of the coffee, the point of the breakfast treats isn't those things. They're wonderful. <laughs> the whole point of that half hour that we're, we're putting on the schedule is so that you would come, and while you're getting your coffee, which I know you need, and while you're getting your donut, which, let's be honest, none of us need, but we enjoy it. While we're getting those things, we can have conversations with one another, build relationships with one another. But 30 minutes on a Sunday morning isn't really enough to have a deep, genuine, real relationship with someone else, Right? if that's all we do once a week. <laughs> like, you're not going to be very good at your job. Your marriage won't be very healthy if, okay, honey, it's, uh, let's do our 30-minute talk now. You know, like, you need more time to have a healthy, deep relationship. 
is not enough to just rely on coffee and conversation time. I mean, and we do have one other time here, but let's be really, really honest. At the end of service, we have time, which is just completely open-ended. There is no cap on that at all. You can go out here. You can sit in the foyer, beautiful chairs. Did you see the new end tables we got out there? Finally arrived. All of our end tables are in. Wonderful. You can sit in that lovely conversation area and have great conversations as long as you would like, build relationships with other people. But let's be honest, that's not really how we function, right? Some of us kind of get out of here in a way that would make Usain Bolt proud, you know? Like, we are, I'm saying amen, it's like, to the car, out the driveway, you know? I don't know if the highway patrolman set out here. I don't know what that speed would look like. I don't know. We're not even going to go there. We get out of here pretty fast. You have an opportunity there. Most of us, we don't, we don't take it. And I get it. All of you, literally everyone in this room but me and my family have a drive. I understand. Here's my point, though. If you think, I'm going to build deep, real, genuine relationships with other people in the church just on Sunday mornings when we come together in this place, it's not going to happen because it's not the point of this time. The main focus of this day, of this gathering here in this place, is the worship of God and the vertical relationship we have with him growing in that. So what the early church was doing in Acts 2 is I like, again, the words of Gimp there. He says, they did not merely add Christianity to their already busy lives, but devoted themselves to their Christian experience. The way Luke says it in Acts 2 is that they were day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. So notice the two things that he tells us about the timing and the place. See, the reality is the early Christians understood if faith was going to be central in their lives, then it could not just be merely relegated to the weekend schedule. It had to be a daily thing. And so day by day, they went to worship. They attended the temple together. It wasn't just a Sunday thing. But neither was building the relationships with one another. The text says here, they restructured their lives to use their daily activities and engage in relationship building day by day in their homes as they shared meals. So their time for relationship building wasn't just, well, we'll see them at a social event. Well, we'll get together at that church activity or function. They seemed to have really viewed their homes and their resources in a way that's pretty different from how we here in America tend to view our homes and our resources, right? They thought of their homes as tools to be used, not retreats to get away from the craziness of the world and the craziness of all of you else <laughs> outside of me and my family. We're normal. You guys are the weird ones, right? So we're going to go to our home and hang out. That's how many of us tend to act if we don't outright say that. But the early church said, no, our homes, they're tools, and they invited people into them. They saw meals not just as a chance to go refuel so they could go do the labor that they had to do. They saw meals as opportunities to share moments and to leverage those times for relational growth with other people. It's quite in a different approach to how most of us live today. And perhaps that's part of why things looked very different in Acts 2 than they look right here, right now. I'll be clear, because again, I don't, I don't believe that you know, a drive-by guilting on a Sunday morning, making you feel really bad about your life and all your choices, is really going to produce much good results. So I'm not saying today you need to, in this service, this moment, you know, you're going to come to the altar and, all right, Lord, I'm, I'm throwing out my calendar and, and, and I'm just rescheduling it all, and every day I'm going to the church and every day someone's in my home. Look, we're not talking about jumping from zero to 120 right now today. What the challenge is, is to go from maybe you're not doing hardly anything 
to doing a little bit more. Maybe if the Lord would lead it, it does become a daily thing. But, but we're not going to jump there. We're going to just start one step at a time, right? So the challenge today is just, hey, for this one time in this one day, let's take a step of engaging relationally with other people and trying to intentionally build relationships with other people. Because the reality is that all the excuses that we make and the temptations that we all have to kind of blow off this call to practicing hostile participating in, in building relationships, really they're pretty weak if we compare those excuses to what the other church was doing. Right? Like, I mean, a common excuse that's probably floated through your mind at some point this week is, yeah, I'm, I'm just too busy to do that kind of stuff. Like, he's, he said we're going to do that stuff on Sunday, but I, I'm busy. He doesn't know my schedule. So I've got a lot going on. Well, you know, the early church lived in a society where they had to work hard every single day to have food for that day. I mean, you and I, we have pantries and refrigerators and freezers with food in them already. We have crockpots and instapots and stoves and onions with ovens with timers that we can set to begin to warm up the meal before we even get there, right? I mean, we have all this stuff, and the early church, they made time every day in their homes to build relationships with one another. You think, well, it just, you know, it takes too much work. But, but these are people who had to, you know, literally ride an animal or walk everywhere they wanted to go. You think, well, it's, it's kind of far away. Maybe I live out away from everyone else. It'd take me a long time to get there. We have cars that can go hundreds of miles in hours, right? I mean, I'm going to leave immediately after this service to take kids to kids camp, and we're going to drive to literally the other side of the state, and we'll be there before dinner time, right? I mean, you can get to anyone's house if they invite you over, or you can invite them over. They can get to your house. I think our excuses are, are really pretty weak if we compare them to the early church life. If they could do it, I think you and I certainly can do it too. It's not a matter of ability. It's a matter of will. It's a matter of being willing to do it, to wanting to be intentional with relationships. And here's the other thing. It's not just that we see this as an example. I'm not just trying to extrapolate something from one text and say, well, here's this thing that took place one time, so that should be normative. The call to practice hospitality is actually a direct command given to us by God. So this isn't just, well, they did it. Now I'm telling you, you have to do it. I'm saying they did it because they understood God tells his people to live this way. I'll just give you two texts this morning from the New Testament so that you can't even go with the whole, oh, well, that was Old Testament you know, commands about hospitality. That doesn't apply. These are New Testament commands, Romans 12, 9 to 13. Listen to how hospitality is framed up in this whole section. Let love be genuine. That's where he starts. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Peter likewise commands hospitality and addresses the attitude we have as we practice hospitality. First Peter 4.9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that right there. So get, get the point, right? The big idea today is this. We must practice hospitality. A Christian, if he's your Lord, if he's the one you obey, he's the one you follow, then you must practice hospitality. Now, don't get me wrong, it does not look the same. I'm not going to give you a prescription. Here's how hospitality works. You open the door, there's a formal greeting, you know, it's, none of that. It will look different in different homes, different seasons. Look different how much hospitality you can do. 
Malia and I hosted a lot of people over before Noah was born. And then when Noah was born, and we're going every single week to Iowa City, that dropped off for a season. Because <laughs> we, we could not do that. We had so much happening. We couldn't practice hospitality in the same way we had before. But that was okay. It's a season. And seasons do what? Change. Change. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe your season says, hey, hospitality is really hard. Maybe hospitality can't be very, very often. Maybe it's, I've got to put some real effort in it, real planning into it to make that happen. That's okay. That's the season you're in. But the command is to practice hospitality. So some way, in whatever season you're in, you've got to figure out, how am I going to be involved in that? How am I going to invite people into my home and spend time in conversations that last longer than just a comment in passing in the hallway? How how are we going to figure out a way to share meals with other people so that, as I'm hoping many of you are going to do today and find to be true, so that we can have good conversations around food, because so many good conversations happen around a table, around food, around a drink, right? The way I've gotten to know those of you who I know well really hasn't been from shaking your hand on Sunday morning or talking to you here in the building. It's been when we've sat down to a meal or sat down to some coffee or we spent time together building a relationship outside these four walls. So hospitality may look different from home to home, may look different from season to season, but we're all called to participate in it. And maybe your season is one where I can't host somebody in my home right now. Okay, then accept the invitation to someone else's home. Let someone else extend hospitality to you. That's a good thing to do. But we must practice hospitality. We must intentionally engage in building relationships with one another. We have to learn to prioritize people in our life schedules. And I think a key way to do that is to learn to think about our homes as tools and to think about meals as opportunities. It's necessary for us to do this. If we're going to attain what God has for us relationally, and it's necessary if we want to be obedient to his word, which tells us to practice hospitality with one another. I love how Jason, uh, Justin early talks about the importance of meals in general, and meals together specifically. He says this. He and his wife, they were, they were missionaries in China for a time, and he talks about how living in China had really opened his eyes to some of the massive differences in culture between America and China. He says in China, food's a major part of life. Everyone there is a foodie before that was a thing here in the U.S., And it's really silly to say, let's have Chinese food, he learned. It's like saying, let's have European food, right? It's very different based on the region. There's different dishes, totally, totally different. It's different as American and French and Italian cuisine. So there's all these food options, and people love food. But what he noticed in China was people put priority on the meal, time, together. They ate together. It was natural, it was regular, it was rhythmic for people in that culture. And in America, we've gone to the exact opposite, the opposite extreme with our food. The, the book, his first book that he wrote was published in 2019, so pre-COVID, and I'm sure that has changed this much, much for the worse. But he said in that book, the statistics show that in America, 42% of meals are eaten alone. And I bet he's right. My own life would probably prove that to be true. I got in the habit of eating at my desk at work when I was doing professional IT. I, that was what we did, just go heat it up and, and bring it to my desk and then work through lunch while I'm you know, scarfing that down to get the fuel that I need to go do stuff. And that, that carried over to my ministry life when I was pastoring in Springfield. Unless I had a meeting to go to over lunch with someone else, most of the time, if I was in the office, I would heat it up and I'd just bring it back to my desk. I had stuff to do. And so I would eat alone, working, working, working. And I broke that habit here. It's very rare for me to eat at my desk now, but a large part of that's just, you know, 
do to my wife, because she's not going to stand for that <laughs> if I you know, go over and heat up my lunch and then walk out. That's, that's probably not going to go well. And why would I want to with my beautiful company every day? I, no, so, seriously, I've grown. I've grown in that. We have lunch together. It's nice. But in America, this, this is the habit for most people, and it's not a good thing for us. Because when you think about the reality, the fact that humanity has to eat, we all share that in common. We all have to eat. We all have to have a meal at some point. If you think beyond just, I've got to eat, to why do I have to eat? What does that say about me? It reveals a deeper spiritual truth to us. I like how Justin writes this. He says, the fact that we are made to eat says volumes about who we are and who God is. We are not just hungry bodies or machines that simply need fuel. We are hungry souls. We are people who crave the company and delights of the table too. That's profoundly true. The Bible says we long for companionship because God made us for that. In Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone, so I will make a helper fit for him. We're people made for relationships. Isolation, being alone, that's not the way God designed us to live normatively. That's why they use those things to torture and break people. <laughs> we can't sustain that forever. We need community. We need relationships, even those of us who are introverts. <laughs> we need other people. And part of the great kindness of God is seen in the fact that the church is the people, the gift of people that God has given us to be closest to in our lives, to build our relationships with most intentionally. The Bible makes that very clear. So you and I need to be intentional to pursue these relationships. Practicing hospitality personally in order to build real relationships is incumbent upon every single one of us. We need to devote ourselves to that work. So today, the application is, is going to be fairly simple and straightforward. <laughs> it's going to be to put into practice what we're talking about today, to extend hospitality to someone else or to receive hospitality if it's extended to you. Hopefully, all of you today will have a meal with someone else. Maybe it's going to be right now after at lunch. Maybe it's going to be uh, this evening for dinner. Or maybe it's going to be something a little different. Maybe it's going to be coffee and, and, and a scone or something like that. But I'm hoping that today every single one of us will go out and apply this and say, okay, it's not good for me to be alone. I need relationships with other people. And so if I'm going to, to do that, I've got to be intentional to engage in that process. And my hope, my prayer today is that will take place here. You'll invest in growing in relationship with one another. But before we leave today, we're going to receive the invitation of the Lord to come to his table and to experience and be reminded of the hospitality of God towards us. We need to have relationships with one another, but, but deeper than that, we need a relationship with God. And none of us deserve that. Because of our sins, none of us deserve to have a relationship with God. We have despised him, we've hated him, we've made mockery of who he is by the disobedience and the sin in our life. And yet, what we celebrate at the Lord's table as we take the Lord's supper is that he has made it possible for us to have a right relationship with him. He came. He reached out. He didn't want to wait for us to ask, hey, can I, can I come to the table? He went and prepared the table and invited us to it. He came to this earth. He lived in this perfect, sinless way to take on our sins, to atone for them so that all the barriers to a relationship would be broken down and then he could invite us in to this transformative, loving relationship with him. So the table and the Lord's Supper is a reminder every time we come to it, every time we partake of it, of the grace of God that has been extended to us. And it should encourage us and it should embolden us to walk in obedience to him and to extend hospitality to others as he has done to us, as we will experience today.
So I'm going to ask two of our deacons, Eric and Reed, if you will come this morning and prepare to serve us. And I want to remind you what I always remind you of. If you're a Christian and you have a relationship with God because you're trusting in him, in the saving work of Jesus, then you're welcome to take and celebrate the Lord's Supper with us. Does not, you do not have to be a member here to do that. But if you're not a Christian, if you're not trusting in Christ for salvation, your relationship with God isn't one of a child to a loving father in a family, then, then let these things go by. Because eating and drinking these without faith, without belief in Jesus Christ, without being a Christian is just a sin that will incur wrath and judgment to come. These won't save you. They're celebration, acts of celebration for us. But they don't save us. So take a few moments as they're handing out the elements. Consider your heart. Repent of your sins. Ask the Lord for his grace afresh in your life. Ask him for the will and the ability and the strength to obey him and follow him and what he says for us to do. Let's reflect and pray for a moment as we're served and then we'll take together. The Apostle Paul explains why this little piece of bread and this little bit of juice in a cup is so important to Christians and how it reminds us of the story of salvation and how we have this gift of a right relationship with God. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and 24, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Christians here today, this little piece of bread, and take it and hold it in your hand this morning, that reminds you and I that this is the means by which we have a right, restored relationship with God. That Jesus came in a real physical body just like ours, and he lived on this earth in this broken, messed up world just like we do, but he faced all the temptations and all the struggles that we do and overcame them, remained sinless and perfect. And so we hold in our hands this little flat, hard piece of bread because it's, it's unleavened. No yeast has been added into it to symbolize that no sin was in Christ. He was pure, undefiled. And as we eat of this bread, we're reminded that it is his perfection, his righteousness, his sinlessness imputed to us, given to us, credited to us if we are in him that gives us the salvation that we have today. So we eat this bread to remind ourselves and to celebrate who he is and what he has done for us and how he is making us into one like him. We celebrate his gift of grace as we take this bread together, let's partake this morning. In verse 25, we read then, In the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This cup is just a small cup of, of juice, but it too is a powerful symbol, a reminder 
of who Jesus is and what he did, what a right relationship with God costs. The juice reminds us of the blood that was shed. As sinners, we deserve the wrath of God for our sins. We deserve to die, our blood to be shed. And yet Jesus took the wrath of God himself. He took the cup of that wrath and drank it all. He suffered all to pay for all of our sins. And when his blood was shed, forgiveness and mercy was earned for us. Let's take the cup together. As we conclude today, the call to response is, like I said, really a call to action outside of this place. And so as we prepare to leave and step outside of this building and and hopefully go and in some way today pursue relational growth with one another, I'm just going to invite you to stand with me and we're going to sing the doxology together. One simple chorus, the words will be on the screen. And when we sing that final amen, you're going to be dismissed. And hopefully, if you're bolting out of here like normal, you're going because you're going to host somebody at your house and you've got to get that last thing ready. But I hope you'll accept this challenge today and I hope you'll spend time intentionally building relationships with one another so that we can have all the good and all the blessing that God intends for us to have as his people, as his church. Amen? Amen. Amen.